Hello. Hello, it's Monique. And Landon. Welcome to... November. The November... Podcast. Nursum 2017 podcast. It's almost going to be how, our anniversary, won't it's it be? It's almost going to be three, three years. years. January, right? Yeah. Ah, I wonder what we should do for our anniversary. I don't know. Well, you're going away for I like know. two months. Not two months. He likes to say that, but it's only five and a bit weeks. Where are you going? I'm going to Eastern Europe. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll see if they keep you. <laughs> well, it's going to be cold anyways. So last month we talked about upper GI issues. Right. And uh, we decided we should have a follow-up about the lower GI system. So the bottom of the food chain. Yeah. It's common to see patients of all ages presenting to the ED with complaints of rectal bleeding or hematochesia. You just wanted to say that. I liked it. I yeah, kind of said it really weird, though. I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like we should be writing that on the triage note instead of rectal bleeding, don't you think? No. No? Okay. <laughs> All right. It's too big of a word. That's true. Yeah. Some of them are quite minor, but it is important that we ensure that we don't miss the red. <laughs> I have had many clinical cases, and one of the challenges is really to differentiate between benign causes from ominous causes i, I think know. we've all seen rectal bleeding out oh, the yin yang <laughs> <laughs> another pun um and not knowing but where really to you put never them, quite right? know like yeah. is this bad is this not bad exactly so, let's talk about a few of them yeah okay uh one of the most common causes of rectal bleeding is either hemorrhoids or anal fissures so hemorrhoids really are varicose veins in the anus and the lower rectum you can have internal or external hemorrhoids i'm sure yeah. you can figure out which ones are which <laughs> Usually they're not painful unless they're thrombosed, but you can have painless bleeding with bowel movements. Bright red blood typically coats the stool at the end of defecation. Blood may also drip into the toilet or stain the toilet paper. Mm-hmm. I can't believe we just ate and now we're talking I about know, this. I know, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, Anal... we're nurses. It doesn't really matter, That's does true. it? That's yeah. true. Anal fissures are tears in the lining of the anal canal, and patients describe a tearing pain with the passage of bowel movements. The passage of stool may be accompanied by bright rectal bleeding. It's usually limited to a small amount on the toilet paper or on the surface of the stool. Some patients complain of an itch or perianal skin irritation. You know, I always find this quite interesting when we're talking about specific questions or or, uh, clinical presentations and the kind of questions you want to ask people, right? Like I often think when I'm asking patients questions, was the blood outside the stool? Is it mixed inside the stool? Is it dripping out of the toilet and they must look sure at they, you and think I, yeah why are you so obsessed with exactly. this exactly but it does so much be helpful like it is so helpful to actually have that very tight history so that you can kind of figure out well what is this and then your physical exam should kind of meet mm-hmm. or match what you've just said and so, of course you're doing this in a in a room with yeah, them exactly. not at triage no ho- hopefully or, not well yeah. you'd be surprised okay <laughs> So the more concerning symptoms and patients who require a fuller workup include these re- include red flags. Um, patients with history of melina, so that's the dark red blood per yeah. rectum, or postural vital sign abnormalities. Right. Um, oh, we should do a podcast on postural vitals. I know, because the, the jury's a bit, a bit of, a of an out. Yeah. I know. There we go. That's next, a good one. One of those. Yeah. Not okay. the next one. No, it's not. Okay. It'll be at some point. Patients with symptoms suggestive of a malignancy, such as constitutional symptoms. <laughs> I love that word. I know, it's good. A constitution. Uh, anemia or change in frequency, caliber, or consistency of stools. 
patients with uh, fecal occult blood positive stools are another red flag and patients with family histories of colon cancer who present with rectal bleeding so really it's like if it's not just that little bit of bright red stuff yeah if it's dark or people with a history or weight yeah. loss all those other stuff yeah but yeah. D- don't forget though a lot of people don't realize that hemorrhoids do not give you fecal occult blood right so, right so some people think oh well you know it's going to be it's going to be positive, positive because you have hemorrhoids. It, that doesn't cause it. It actually has to be the stool itself, right? Like, right. I mean, if you if you just got the mucosa, it, has to have it doesn't down help. A little bit. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, as many of you know, many of our podcasts start with a clinical case. So, recently, a young twenty-four-year-old male came to the emergency department complaining of bloody diarrhea for about forty-eight hours. He hadn't been traveling. He wasn't on any recent antibiotics. He didn't have a fever, or chills. Had some abdominal cramping, no nausea, and vomiting. And of course, we do the full workup. You send his stool off for culture and sensitivity over in parasites, C. diff. Um, and I actually sent him home thinking it probably was an infectious colitis. I sent him home with some antibiotics and arranged with the gastroenterologist for him to get a colonoscopy in the next couple of days or so. He returned a few hours later because he couldn't cope with the cramping pain. He was continuing to have diarrhea. And it made me kind of reflect on did I miss anything? Should I have maybe sent him in sooner to see the gastroenterologist? Should I have made him admit him to the hospital? Did I miss that maybe he had an inflammatory bowel disease? Which got me to think about what the difference is between ulcerative colitis and Crohn's are. Now, inflammatory bowel disease, and we often say IBS, and that's also different from irritable bowel syndrome, by the way, but we're only going to focus on inflammatory bowel disease. It's the umbrella term for both Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. Both of them are marked by an abnormal response by the body's immune system. Interestingly, IBD was seldom seen before the rise of improved hygiene and urbanization at the beginning of the 20th century. Today, it's still found mainly in developing countries. And like developed. other developed countries, not developing. Me. Yeah. Uh, Today, it's still found mainly in developed countries. And like other autoimmune and allergic disorders, it's believed that we have a lack of germ-resistance development, and that's actually contributing to inflammatory bowel disease. Makes sense. It does, doesn't it? Because it's an immune problem. (laughs) Exactly. So the immune system mistakes food, bacteria, or other materials in the GI tract for foreign substances and responds by sending white blood cells into the lining of the bowel, and the result of the immune system's attack is chronic inflammation. Most people are diagnosed before the age of 30, and it's more common in urban areas, among people in higher socioeconomic brackets, in industrial countries, northern climates, and in Caucasians as opposed to dark-skinned people and those of Asian descent, and in people who eat high-fat diets. So aside from environmental factors, genetic factors are believed to play a strong role in the development of inflammatory bowel disease. Sure, and so under that umbrella was Crohn's disease and yeah. ulcerative, ulcerative colitis. colitis. So yeah. I'm going to talk about Crohn's disease. Mm-hmm. So Crohn's disease is named after a doctor who first described it in 1932. Now, he didn't actually have the disease himself. No. So technically, it's Crohn's disease because <laughs> yeah. he didn't have it. I so know. So he doesn't possess it. That's and right. That's just one of my things I know. It's that bugs English. me. I know. But yet we all call There's it your, Crohn's your, disease. There's your, 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 and two, and two. Figure out the right ones. Exactly. People. Figure and, it but out. But it is true, right? It's not his disease. It's not his disease. No. So the, inf- anyway, I digress. I know. The inflammation from Crohn's disease can strike anywhere in the gastrointestinal tract, from mouth to anus. It is usually, however, located in the lower part of the small bowel and the upper part of the colon. 
you get patches of inflammation interspersed between healthy portions of the gut, and it can penetrate the intestinal layers from inner to outer lining. It can also affect the mesentery that holds the small bowel to the abdomen and contains the main intestinal blood vessels and lymph glands. So the symptoms of Crohn's, I'll give in, and we'll still call it Crohn's Crohn's disease. disease. We're not going to change the world, Monique, I'm sorry. (laughs) So symptoms of Crohn's disease include persistent diarrhea, crampy abdominal pain, fever, some occasional rectal bleeding, and fatigue. It's more common to see bowel obstructions in Crohn's disease rather than ulcerative colitis due to scarring and swelling. Also, ulcers in the intestinal tract may develop into tracts or fistulas. Mm -hmm. Uh, Crohn's disease can also increase the risk of colon cancer, which is why patients get regular colonoscopies. Medication is the most common way to treat Crohn's, and the five types of drugs that are used are steroids, antibiotics, immune uh, modifiers such as azathioprine and Mm 6-MP, aminosalicylates such as 5-ASA, and biologic therapy. Yeah. This is, we're not really going to talk a lot about the therapy. We just no, wanted to let you know. it's totally not an emergency department. No, it it's isn't. It's not like, oh, let's start you on your immune modifiers exactly. in our minor treatment area. Exactly. Probably not going to happen. Not really. So now let's talk about ulcerative colitis. So ulcerative colitis only affects portions of the large intestine, including the rectum and anus, and typically only inflames the innermost lining of the bowel tissue. It almost always starts at the rectum, extending upwards in a continuous manner through the colon. And symptoms include crampy abdominal pain, loose stools, bloody stools, urgent bowel movements, fatigue, loss of appetite, and very rarely, but in severe cases, anemia due to blood loss. Now, there are five kinds of ulcerative colitis, depending on how much of the um, intestine is is involved. So acute severe ulcerative colitis is a rare form and it causes eating difficulties. Left-sided colitis affects the descending colon and rectum. Pancolitis affects the whole colon and causes persistent bloody diarrhea. Proctosigmoiditis affects the lower colon and the rectum. And ulcerative proctitis is the mildest form and it affects the rectum only. With the exception of biologic treatment, treatments for the disease are the same as for Crohn's. Um, One of the reasons that I think it's important for us to talk about both of those things as well, and we're not going to discuss perianal abscesses here, but understand that patients who have Crohn's and ulcerative colitis who also have a perianal abscess are far sicker and because they have lots of inflammation and perhaps with Crohn's they have fistulas as well. So those abscesses can be quite deep and they likely need far more imaging to rule out um, whether you've got a really bad abscess that needs surgical um, incision and drainage, by the way, just an FYI. I think, and I think another important point about these is, is this isn't something you come to the emergency department with a bit of diarrhea and someone says, no. oh, you have Crohn's. Yeah. These are people who have probably, if, if you are making the primary diagnosis you're not you're going to send them and and after some diagnostic tests they'll get diagnosed yeah but if they're coming to you saying i have crohn's or ulcerative colitis this is a chronic disease for them yes and we would be wise as with all chronic disease to involve them in what works for them exactly how sick are you what works for your pain absolutely pain medication with this population is always a hot interesting topic to talk about absolutely um and so, yeah, involving the patient in, look, you're in an emergency department, which is probably the least 
therapeutic place for you to be right <laughs> yeah. now. And believe me, they didn't want to come there. No, absolutely So they obviously not. got to a point where this was different, much mm-hmm. like the diabetics and the epileptics. It's like, well, you came here today, so this isn't your normal thing. Yeah. And so involving them in kind of what I works for them, especially along point. the pain pathway and that kind of thing is probably super important. Yeah, that's a great point. And makes Brandon. your day a lot easier yes, than arguing your yeah. feeling on these conditions versus oh, the person actually experiencing them. And it's not, it's actually kind of an embarrassing thing to be talking about, right? Totally. Like it's all about toilet stuff, right? Yeah. And bowel movements. And that's the last thing I would want to do if, if I had this would be to come to an emergency department where I'm going to be in a waiting room with no toilet. Exactly. Or having or to share hours. a bathroom yeah. with the rest of the you so know, it's population. So it's thing. Like they, they didn't come in just because they thought it was a Monday afternoon exactly. when they knew you'd have 100 patients in the department. Exactly. Um, yeah. So anyway, there was a soapbox. I know. We did get a little bit on a soapbox. First mm-hmm. it was the Crohn disease and now it's all about this. There's mm. two soapboxes I know, today. Two, I know. It's a bonus day. <laughs> so... What's the difference between Crohn's and ulcerative colitis? Um, Crohn's can inf- affect any part of the digestive system. Ulcerative colitis, colitis only affects the colon right. or the large intestine. The inflammation caused by Crohn's disease penetrates deep into the walls of the bowel tissue. Ulcerative colitis tends to just infect the single layer of the bowel wall or the inner lining. Crohn's disease it tends to occur in patches around the digestive system. Ulcerative colitis is a continuous area of the colon, usually starting from the rectum and moving up yeah, through the yeah. colon. Most people who have Crohn's also have symptoms of ulcerative colitis, but rectal bleeding or blood in the stool is much more common in people who have ulcerative colitis than with Crohn's. Because Crohn's disease affects more of the body, it can cause some problems that you don't usually see in people who have ulcerative colitis. So mouth sores between the gums and lower lip or along the sides or bottom of the tongue, anal tears, fissures, ulcers, infections, narrowing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's more of a generalized yeah. illness in Absolutely. the digestive system versus ulcerative colitis that is localized. Which is why they're actually more prone to obstruction as well, right? Bowel right. obstructions, yeah. So although Crohn's can be effectively managed with medications, it's not cured. Mm-hmm. Uh, ulcerative colitis can be controlled with medications and be cured can be cured surgically by removing the colon. But again, obviously, extreme an extreme case, case <laughs> yeah. not your primary diagnosis no. in the emerge. Absolutely and not. We booked the OR. Yeah. Diagnosing inflammatory bowel diseases usually involves some type of scope, so a colonoscopy or a sigmoidoscopy. Although patients may also undergo un- will also undergo other tests to rule out other diagnoses. Um, so CT, x-rays, blood work, ultrasound, yeah. like the, the standard yeah. thing. Again, depending on your emergency department, may or may not be done there. Um, they are trying to develop a couple of blood tests to help diagnose ulcerative colitis in Crohn's, which involves determining the levels of certain antibodies in the blood. P-A-N-C-A, perinuclear antineutrophil antibodies, and A-S-C-A, or antisaccharomyces cerevisiae antibody. Oh my God, Google it. <laughs> Google Google can probably say it better than me. So panca and ASCA. Most often people with ulcerative colitis have the panca antibody in their blood and those with Crohn's have ASCA in theirs. However, they have uncertain accuracy, so they're still being researched and, yeah. and they're not mainstream use yet, but they mm-hmm. um, are there. Approximately 10% of cases of the inflammatory bowel diseases exhibit the features of both Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, and they're typically known as indeterminate colitis. So, so there you go. That's pretty, well, that's helpful, isn't it? To kind of know the differences. Because it is. Like I knew they were kind of related, but 
but as far as those exact differences, it's kind of helpful. It is helpful. Now, we've only touched the surface of bowel issues, but it is important to determine the <laughs> That's differences. That's ulcerative colitis. I know. Just touch the surface. I know. You're very funny. But it is important to determine the difference between benign causes and being vigilant about those red flags. So Molina, postural vital signs, constitutional symptoms like weight loss, fatigue, and family history. It is also important that we do a thorough workup for persistent diarrhea and abdominal cramping in patients that we have a suspicion of inflammatory bowel disease. So stool cultures, blood work, and an urgent colonoscopy. By the way, that young man did have a colonoscopy, and it was determined that he had an infectious colitis. Remember that colitis just means inflammation of the colon. With ulcerative colitis, there has to be ulcers in the lining of the colon, as well as inflammation. As Landon kind of said very eloquently, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis are chronic diseases, and it affects young people in their prime. So it is important for us to listen to them, diagnose them early so that we can help them get control of their symptoms so that they can live a productive life. So it is important for us to understand and appreciate the impact of these uh, diseases on these young people. And I just want to point out that for the first time in many years, Monique described me as saying something eloquently. Oh, well, he did, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much for listening. I know there's lots more to talk about um, in lower GI issues, but we thought that this would be something that would be helpful for all of us. And we will see you in December. Yes. Thank you. See you later. Bye. For past episodes and to comment on this episode, please visit our website at nursem.org. That's N-U-R-S-E-M dot O-R-G. You can follow us on Twitter at NursemCast and also find us on Facebook at NursemPodcast. We look forward to your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, before incorporating anything new into your work, ensure you are supported by your own scope of practice, workplace policies, and your own knowledge and comfort. The Nursum Podcast is brought to you by PRN Education. www.prneducation.ca